I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. That is the chapter of the heroes of faith. And it tells about the great achievements that were accomplished by faith and through faith. And there are a number of individuals that God names by name in this chapter and honors them for the faith that they had and the things that they did by faith, the way that they believed him in the face of persecution and troubles and trials. And it is amazing to read how that these individuals were blessed in various areas of their life because of faith. Now, you know as well as I do, this, this book, Hebrews, teaches us, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you're ever going to be saved, you're going to be saved by grace, through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it goes through all of these great accomplishments. But yet, uh, for, for time's sake, I'm not going back to Genesis to read uh, in the life of, of Jacob. But in the life of Jacob, there are, you may not be aware of this, but there's actually three deathbed scenes in the life of Jacob that's recorded in your Bible. But in the New Testament analysis of the death of Jacob, as he's getting ready to leave this world, he has called his family together. They're gathered around. He has illness that he is aware of the fact that he is dying. He calls his family nearby. And we often think of Jacob and we think of his children. And if I asked most people how many children do you have, you'd say 13 and you'd be wrong. No, you'd be right. Most people would say 12. He had 12 sons, but they always forget the daughter. He had 13 children total. And with these children around him, he begins to give the blessing on their life. What God's going to do through them. Let me tell you something. We need to bless our children. We need to promote them in a way that they'll see the blessing of God on them. And then he does the strangest thing. Something that the New Testament tells us about his dying moments that you don't read anywhere else in scripture. You find it in verse 21 of chapter 11 of Hebrews. Hebrews eleven twenty one says, by faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning upon the top of his staff. Now there's, there's two or three things that are very obvious when we read this. Number one, he is dying. Heaven is near. The end of the journey is there. I stood yesterday evening before our service with one of our dear folks in our church that has been faithful to God for many years. And she battled with memory loss and dementia and her body was so frail and she was getting ready to leave. I, I was there and I told her family members nearby, I said, take her by the hand. This is as close you'll get to heaven until you get to go yourself. She's leaving this world. She's dying. She couldn't respond. She couldn't say anything. But here Jacob knows he's dying and he's called his loved ones together and of all things, he worships in the hour of death. I can't get people alive to worship. 
Now, you say, but preacher, he was dying. Well, I preach in a lot of dying churches. They don't worship. Hardest thing you'll do as a preacher anymore is to get people to worship the Lord. I spend more time trying to get people excited about something they ought to automatically be excited about, but yet for some reason, they feel like it's wrong to be excited. There's nothing wrong with worshiping. Now, you don't have to worship God like I worship God, but he's worthy of our worship. And he seeketh such to worship him. That's what he said when he talked to the woman at the well. Those that will worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. So here he is dying and he's he's not worshiping because he's dying. He's not worshiping because his family is around him when he's dying. He's not worshiping because he has a staff to lean on. Now, when you get to that word staff, there's a lot of confusion about it. Some people will say, well, the word staff here, it's not referring to his staff, it's referring to the staff of Joseph. No, it wasn't. It was his staff, and I'll prove that to you biblically in just a moment. The other thing is, some people say, well, the word staff there in in the original text meant the head of the bed. No, he wasn't worshiping on the head of the bed. There's nothing in that bed that would make him want to worship. But there's something about the fact that he said, I want you to bring me my staff. And when he got up on top that staff, that's when the spirit of worship began to move through him. Weakened body could hardly lift his voice up, I suppose. Disease has taken hold of him. He's so weak that he can hardly make it. But yet there's something about that staff that makes him worship God when he gets on the top of it and looks down. 25 years ago, I'm with one of our groups in Israel. Part of our trip has always been to go through Bethlehem. When we were in Bethlehem, there's a particular shop that we'd always taken the group to. I had already been there to that shop. I knew everything they had in that shop and I, did, I wasn't interested in one more souvenir. So I'm standing off to the side, letting the group shop while we take a few moments break. And I go over to a bin, and inside this bin are these large, enormous sticks. And the first thing that catches my attention, and you'll, you'll have to have been to Bethlehem to appreciate this, but why my eye was drawn to it is the only thing in there not made out of olive wood. If you've ever been to Bethlehem, everything they have is olive wood. Manger scenes out of olive wood. Ornaments out of olive wood. Communion cups out of olive wood. Everything, Bible covers made out of olive wood. It's all olive wood. But these sticks that are there, they're not olive wood. And I'm looking at them and I turn over the price tag. And when I see the price tag, it almost takes my breath away. So the owner of the shop, he knew me, and he came over and he said, what do you think about that? I said, well, the first thing I noticed, it's not olive wood. He said, oh no, you can't make those out of olive wood. He said, sticks that size. He said, it would split, crack, wouldn't hold up. This is made up to hold hold up a lifetime. And I said, well, what are these? He said, "They're, they're a staff. That's what they are, they're staffs. 
And I said, well, why are they so expensive? He said, well, two or three reasons. He said, number one is they're not made of olive wood. And he said, the wood they're made out of is somewhat rare, but it's durable. I'm afraid I'm gonna preach before I get to the sermon. And he said, second of all, that wood, after that it goes through a process, he told me how they take the bark off of it, told me how that they take the knots, make them smooth, and how that they have to age with time and, and to make them durable for life. He said they have to last a lifetime. And he said to make them durable so that they'll hold up through, through a lifetime, he said they have to go through an oil dipping process. They have to be dipped in oil. Staffs aren't any good that's not dipped in oil, he said. They just won't last. I think we could take a five minute recess and shout it out right now. Our life's not much unless it's dipped in oil. And then he said, but the main reason and he said, this is hard for you to understand because everyone that comes here, when they think about a staff, they always think the same thing. They think of the shepherd's hook, the staff with the hook on it. And he said, well, some have that. He said, every individual, our men, the men of our belief, they, they, they all aren't shepherds, but they all have a staff. And he said, the reason they pay so much for that that staff has to last a lifetime because we don't journal things. He said, we take the tradition of the shepherd. And shepherds didn't have scrolls and paper to write on, but they always had their staff, their rod and their staff. And he said, on that staff, any great event in their life, they would cut the staff or make a mark on the staff that would endure. So in time, every time they looked at that and they saw that, they knew that was a time of God's blessings in their life. So he said, really, what is happening is at the end of life, when you get so that you can't, and listen, young people, don't laugh at us that are older. You're gonna get there quicker than you think. There's things that you think you're gonna remember the rest of your life, but I'm telling you, there's people you've known all your life and you're, you're gonna say, uh, what's their name? I don't know. And about three in the morning, you're gonna wake your spouse up and yell their name out because it finally comes to you. There's things you think you'll never forget, but you do forget. So what he did, he was sick. And the devil takes advantage of a sick body and a tired mind. And he's now at the point where he's getting ready to leave this world to go in the presence of Abraham, in the presence of God. And he's lived his life according to the Jewish religion. He's followed the things of God and tried to please God and through all of his wrongdoing, the hand of God has been on him. But yet, at the end of the journey, is there anybody here that can testify to this? When you get closer to the end, sometimes you look back and you say, have I done anything good? 
to help anybody on the journey? Have I touched any lives? Have I impacted anyone in any way that made a lasting impression? And if you're not careful, you'll forget about those things. So what they would do is they would bring them their staff which was a record of their life. You say, now preacher, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, can I give you a Bible real quick to prove it? Do you remember Judah, when Judah got to the place that he had gone in to be with a harlot, not knowing that the harlot was his daughter-in-law because she had disguised himself and she wanted to to have the family name, the family seed, so she deceived her father-in-law Judah. He went in with the harlot and then it came out a few weeks later, a few months later that she was with child and he calls her in and he's ready to punish her and when he calls her in to punish her, when he had this relationship with her, he left behind his ring, his signet, his bracelet and his staff. And when he said that I'm going to bring punishment on you, he said, I want to know who did this and she had been disguised not knowing who it was and she said, the one whose staff and bracelet and rings, these are, he's the father of the child. When he saw the staff, he knew what had happened. How did he know that? It was his staff. It was his markings. It was his life. Or, or what do you do with, with uh, like, the passage of scripture when the Lord said to the children of Israel, I want you to take the lamb. I want you to offer up the lamb. I want you to take the blood, put it on the doorpost, on the lintel. I want you to roast the lamb. I want you to eat the lamb. But then the Lord said to them in Exodus 12, 11, he said, I want you to have shoes on your feet. I want your loins to be girded. And he said, I want your staff in your hand. You know what God was saying? You're getting ready to leave this place on a journey. And I want you to have a record of your journey. I'm gonna do some things so wonderful from you for you that you're gonna wanna write it down and mark it down that it happened. David faces a giant. And when David faces the giant, he goes out and he gathers five smooth stones. How do he get them out of the creek? How did he get him out of the water? Read the Bible. He took his staff and he brought them out. Why did he have his staff? He could have reached in, picked the rocks up, picked the stones up. Why did he use his staff? Can I tell you why? Because while he was using that staff, he was looking down on that staff and on that staff, he saw the markings. That's where I slew a lion. He saw another marking. That's where I slew a bear. He knew the times that the wolf had come and he defended the sheep. And he said, if God has delivered me through all of that, it's the same God that's gonna deliver me from this giant Philistine and free our people. In other words, God, I know what you've done in the past and you can do it right now. You remember Elisha when he had, was blessed with a woman that she saw him pass by and had him come in and eat bread. She told her husband, I perceive this is a man of God, built him a chamber and every time he passed by, the prophet would stop and have bread. 
And then the prophet gave the great prophecy. She was without child that she would have a child. And then when she had the child, the child is now grown out in the field with the reapers and he holds his head. Pain had struck his head and he dies. They send word right away. She said, get the man of God. I want to tell you something. If you want to find out if someone really is in touch with God, when you get to the place that you know good and well, I hope you don't get angry at me because I've got one more night to preach. But there's some people I wouldn't even bother to ask them to pray for me. Because they don't have enough power with God to blow the fuzz off a peach. But there's other people that I know they can pray and get a hold of heaven. She said, I want to see the man of God. I want to get to somebody that knows how to reach heaven. He turns to Gehazi's servant and said, I want you to go before me, handed him his staff. And he said, just lay the staff over the face of the child until I get there. Do you know what he was doing? I'm about to preach now. He was warning the enemy, hey, listen. God has done this miracle and that miracle and this miracle and that miracle and I'm putting you on notice right now. Death, you are defeated. I'm coming and God's gonna raise that boy up from the dead and he sent his staff ahead of time to warn the enemy. I've got a record that God has done it before and God can do it again. We talk about revival. Someone said, well, how do you know that God will send revival? Because I've seen him do it before and I know he can do it again. For time's sake, let me give you one more. Jesus is sending his disciples out. He commands them on their journey in Mark chapter six and verse eight. He commands them, don't take money, don't take script, don't take bread, don't take a purse. He said, but every one of you, take your staff. Save a staff only in Mark chapter six and verse eight. He said, I want you to be sure if you take, that if you don't have money, that's fine. Don't have bread, that's fine. But whatever you do, take your staff. Why? Because God knew they were going to do some supernatural things through him. And he said, you're gonna wanna write it down. You're gonna wanna mark it down when it happens. Now, for time's sake, this is my staff. How do you know it's your staff? It's got my name on it. My name's inscribed on a friend of mine. He's uh, done a lot in biblical studies and he was greatly intrigued with staffs 25 years ago. When I talked to him about this, he comes into a service like this and he brought me the staff. The staff is now 25 years old. It has inscribed on it, Ephesians 3.20. If you're here and you have a favorite passage of scripture, if I ask you, you'll know it right away. So I put down Ephesians 320. And he knew that I loved that. He put it on my staff. My wife knows where this is at, where I keep it in my home. A lot of times before I go out to a revival meeting, I keep it in a place that's handy by my car, and I'll reach over and I'll just grab my staff. 
put my hand on it a minute before I ever get in the car to leave. Occasionally, I'll take it to a revival like this or a camp meeting, and I'll have it with me. Sometimes out in the car, nobody else sees it but me. But I've got a staff. She knows when the Lord calls me home that I've done my best to be a shepherd to people. She knows to get my staff, to put my staff on top of my casket or in my casket with me. Why? Because when I go through the heavens, I want to tell the enemy, the prince and power of the air, on my way up, let me tell you a few things that God has done for me. Sometimes you'll get discouraged. Sometimes you'll feel defeated. But if you've got a staff that you can go back to, yours may not be like this. It may be a notebook with a few notes in it. But you ought to every now and then when God does something real big in your life, you ought to put a mark somewhere to say when I reach the place in my life that the devil comes against me and I can't remember anything else, all I gotta do is go back and look and say to the enemy, do you see that right there? That's the day that I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and he saved my soul. You ought to be able to go back to the place. Preachers, you ought to be able to say, see that right there, devil? That's the time that I yielded to the mighty call of God to preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I can go back on my staff and say to the devil when I get in a meeting that things aren't going and people aren't coming and souls aren't being saved. I can say, do you see that right there, devil? You remember that meeting? We had gone for two weeks, not a soul saved, but then in one service, 89 people surrendered to Christ and the Lord saved their soul. Do you see that mark right there, devil? I want you to know what that says. That says that I was in a meeting overseas and one night, 700 people came and prayed under the power of God and for over six hours, I prayed with people and pled with people to turn to Christ and be saved and folks were saved and people were healed and revival came. Look around here. Do you think a building like this just happens? It doesn't just happen. When you get in a challenge in this church, you ought to go back to where I preached the first time for y'all. That little low ceiling, people crammed in hallways, out in the foyer, couldn't get inside the building. And now look what the Lord's gave you. The Lord knew in time there needed to be a place in this area where churches could come together and meet like you're meeting tonight. 
and he said, I'm gonna mark down something that you'll be able to have a place to call them in and they'll be able to worship. The truth of the matter is, I think we've forgotten how good God has been to us. If some of us could just get up on top of our staff tonight and start looking back at what God has done for us, I think there would be a spirit of worship that would swell up inside of our soul and before long, we would have to say, take that old devil, you're not gonna win out. God has done it before and God will do it again. It's not over. It's not finished. You know what I wanna mark on this staff? I wanna be able to mark down and say, Lord, I didn't go to Hayesville. You were already there when I got there. But the great revival in Georgia, and North Carolina, it started right here in a group of people that came together in unity for the cause of Christ. You say, preacher, God doesn't do that anymore. I have a pastor friend last year. Revival broke out in their church. They baptized over 700. Oh God, you did it before. Do it again. Do it again. You say, well, preacher, you've got your own church. You don't get it. This is not about me and it's not about you. This is about a generation that needs to see a genuine stirring of God in the depths of our souls that would change our outlook and turn us around to say, let God be God and every man a liar. God is still on the throne and God still saves people and God still delivers people and God still sends revival. Oh, glory to God. God still sins revival. The days of revival is not over. Yeah. 